Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you, welcome. Really glad to have you here. Uh, this morning we are making our way through Matthew and um, looking at the parables of Jesus right now. And today we're, we're looking at one of my favorites, maybe my favorite parable, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field in, in Matthew 13, verse 44. We'll look at that in just a second together. Um, Back uh, in 2008, I was building houses, and after, after college, I thought I would do that for quite some time, um, build houses. My dad was in the building business, and I loved it. And then 2008, uh, just a few years after I started doing it, the, the, the market crashed, and all of a sudden, I found myself without a job. And uh, we had had our first kid. We had a second on the way. And we had a mortgage, and uh, Tiffany had quit her job to be at home with the kids, and, and I was without work. And, uh, and so for eight months, for eight months, we, we scrimped, and I got odd jobs and made a little here and there, and we lived off of our savings, and the savings was r- running out. And, um, and I remember just getting on my face and begging God, crying out to God for a job. And many of you know that miraculous uh, provision that God uh, had this, the chief of this fire department call me as I was on my face, crying out to God, begging God for a job. And this, this chief of this fire department that I didn't know calls me and says, hey, I heard you were looking for work. And so I take this job um, as, as a firefighter and and it's grueling. I mean, the, the hiring process was intense. You had psych evaluations and lie detectors and written tests and uh, group interviews and a physical test. I mean, it, just to be hired. And then, and then uh, about 60 of us were in, our, in the class that, that they hired. And so um, 60 of us begin going through this nine-month training process that is just absolutely brutal. Uh, EMT training and then fire training and the fire academy, um, I mean, was like, it, it was a lot like boot camp. I mean, people screaming in your face, breaking you down. You have to work out two or three times a day. You don't know when it's going to come, and they just take you outside in the heat of the summer. And, uh, and as, as this summer goes on, our class went from 60 down to 30-something as people just dropped like flies. People said, I'm not doing this. I will not put up with this. And um, every morning I got up at 4, 4.30, something like that, 4.45, something like that, so that I could get there on time. And, um, and the thought never crossed my mind to quit. And the reason was because of the joy of having a paycheck. <laughs> I had experienced eight months without a paycheck. 
And so if somebody wanted to get in my face and scream at me and get spit all over my face, so be it as long as you give me a paycheck at the end of the day. And so I was able to endure some things that would have otherwise been hard because of a reward that was coming at the end of it. And today what we're going to look at in this, this parable of the treasure hidden in the field is Jesus tells a story of this man who, who stumbles upon a treasure that changes his life. Changes his life, turns his life upside down. So um, look with me at Matthew 13 and uh, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Pray with me. Father, Father, you, you have given us a treasure beyond our human comprehension by giving us your Son. And so what that means is that we need your Spirit this morning to help us to comprehend things that we can't comprehend on our own, to see things that we will not see on our own. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here among us. And now I just ask, would you magnify Jesus today? And would you work in our hearts in a powerful way, in unexpected ways? We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, a simple parable, um, and hopefully a simple message uh, from this, but, but powerful, what, what God is going to teach us through this parable. The first thing that I want us to see as we look at this passage is that um, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Um, why is the kingdom of heaven a treasure? And the answer simply is because the king is there. Heaven is heaven because God is there. And if he weren't there, it wouldn't be heaven. The kingdom represents the place where the king resides. And so the kingdom of heaven is a treasure because King Jesus is there, because God the Father is there. And so um, when we think about finding this treasure, I think what we need to think about is finding God himself, finding him in the face of Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Peter 3.18, we'll read this together, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. This is why Jesus died, 
This is why you needed your sins to be forgiven. This is why it's good news that your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. Is because that means you can be brought to God. That means you can be brought into a relationship with the God that created you. The God who knows you intimately, who made you for himself. And so the kingdom is treasure because in the kingdom we can have a relationship with God. Let's look at John 17, 3 together. Jesus says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you. This is his prayer to his Father. So he's saying that they know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We talk about the treasure of eternal life. Why is that a good thing? Why is eternal life a good thing? Because eternal life is relationship with God. It is knowing God. It's being in friendship, being in intimate friendship with Him. So when we think about this treasure in the field, why is this a treasure? Why is the kingdom of heaven a treasure? It is because God is there. Secondly, I want us to see that the kingdom is a hidden treasure. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found. The kingdom of heaven is a hidden treasure. You know, maybe you heard about Jesus many times before you really saw him. I know that was my testimony. I grew up in the church, and so I'd heard about Jesus many times. I'd, I'd heard the gospel. The facts of the gospel had been presented to me. I'm thankful for that. I knew that Jesus was the Son of God. I knew that he came to earth to live a sinless life in my place because I was a, a sinner separated from God. I knew that Jesus died on the cross to take my place, to pay my penalty for my sin. I I knew these facts. I knew that he was buried and that he rose from the grave on the third day. But Satan knows those facts. The demons know those facts to be true. They don't deny those facts. And so to become a Christian is more than just to believe that some facts about Jesus are true. To become a Christian is to see Jesus for the treasure that he is. To become a Christian is to see him as glorious because he is glorious. It's to have your eyes opened. It's to realize that the field that you've been walking through all this time has a treasure hidden in it. Worth more than everything you own. It's to see what was there all along, but that you'd missed. Look with me at Acts 26. This is Paul thinking back to his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, and this is what he says that Jesus told Paul. I am sending you 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is what it is to evangelize. This is what it is to believe the gospel. In order to have your sins forgiven, your eyes have to be opened. You have to see what you weren't seeing. You have to see that the light is good and worth running to. And we don't do this on our own. We need the power of God to do this in our hearts. We need to to have our eyes open. The scales of our eyes have to be have to fall off. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. Paul says this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. To keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ. Satan, he kept our eyes blinded from seeing what? The glory of Christ. The beauty of Christ. The grandeur of Christ. The magnificence of Christ. And then one day, we saw it. And we were changed. Let's look at John chapter 3. This is what Jesus says. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So this was us. This is all of us. This is every single person without illumination, without God saying, let there be light in this heart. We love the darkness. We don't love the light. We don't want to come to the light lest our deeds be exposed. And we aren't drawn to the light because we look at the field and we see nothing of any value. kingdom is a hidden treasure unless and until we stumble upon it and we see the treasure that's there. Thirdly, thirdly, the finding the treasure produces joy. It says, then in his joy. So those of you who have had your eyes open, you know what I'm talking about. 
you know exactly what it is to see the beauty of Christ for the first time. To, to have your eyes opened and the joy that fills you when you see it. I think of the many baptisms we've done under this stage <laughs> and the people who share their testimonies and the tears that well up in their eyes. Maybe it's been a long time since you first believed, but you need to remember what it felt like. You need to continually go back to what it was like when you first believed. That feeling that this glorious king died for me, this sovereign God loves me, he forgives me, my slate is wiped clean. Oh, to find this treasure produces joy. Look at John 1:12 with me. This is what happens when we find the treasure. It says, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." This is why finding the treasure, seeing the treasure produces so much joy because to to see the treasure of Christ for who he is is to become a child of God to be adopted by God to be invited into his house to become a part of his family to be a son or a daughter of God that is why to find this treasure produces so much joy And there's a constant connection throughout the New Testament between our faith and joy. To have faith, to believe, produces great joy. Look with me at Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. When? In believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. When we believe, when we, and believing is connected to seeing him for who he is. When we are seeing him for who he is, for the treasure that Christ is, our faith rises up, anxiety and fear and doubt melt away, and we are filled with peace and joy because of faith. We see this connection again and again in the New Testament. Look at Philippians 1.25. I know, this is Paul writing to the church there, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. This is what got Paul up in the morning. This is what kept Paul going in prison. This is what kept Paul 
going. Do you think he had that joy, or do you think he just wanted other people to have it, but he didn't have it? No, he had it. He had that joy, and that's why he wanted so badly for others to have it. And that's what got him up morning after morning, and that's what kept him going because he wanted to depart and be with Christ. He did. But he knew there was still work to do because the people he loved didn't have enough joy in the faith. They didn't see Christ for the treasure that he is, and therefore, there was still work to do. Do you see it? To believe in him is to have a joy that is unexplainable. The kingdom of God is a place of joy. Do you know this? Do you know that the kingdom that you're a part of is a kingdom of joy? Look with me at Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. We know that. And peace, okay, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a kingdom marked by joy, marked by celebration, marked by singing, by praise, by dancing. That's our kingdom. Do we represent it well? Do you represent it well in your workplace? Do you represent that kingdom well? Do you have that joy that marks our kingdom? Even in sorrow, are you always rejoicing? When you go through hard things, are you still rejoicing? Do you know the kingdom you're a part of? Do you know the king that you serve? I am, this, I'm so guilty of so frequently misrepresenting my king and his kingdom by walking around with my head down, by sulking, grumbling, This is the kingdom that we're a part of. It's a kingdom of joy. So finding this treasure produces joy. And here's my final point and my main point that we're going to hang on to for a bit. Joy is the fuel for the Christian life. Joy in the Lord. Joy is the fuel for the Christian life. As I said, it's, it's what got Paul up every morning. Look at what it says. Then in his joy, he goes. In his joy, he goes. What's fueling this guy? What's, what's filling his tank so that he can go and do what he's about to go do because he's about to go do something hard? What's the fuel in his tank? Joy. Joy is the fuel of the Christian life. And when we feel like we're sputtering out, when we feel like we're running on fumes, what is it that we need? We need to see Christ for the treasure that he is 
so that our joy can be full. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. Joy is the fuel. In his joy he he goes. When you read this parable, what, what you should see is when this man stumbles upon this treasure, that is his conversion. That's salvation. That's, that's finding the treasure, finding Christ. And then he goes and he sells all that he has, and that is the Christian life. That's, that is supposed to represent all of the Christian life. He goes and he sells all that he has. The Christian life is one of open hands. I don't hold on to anything in this world anymore. I belong to another world. And then he buys the field. That's, that's coming into the kingdom. That's the end of it all for us. That's coming into the consummation of the kingdom, the kingdom coming down, whatever. So when we look at this, what we're to see in this picture of going and selling all that he has is this is all of the Christian life. And joy is fueling all of it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we, we read this. Now, Paul has just laid out 11 chapters of doctrine. 11 chapters of the most glorious gospel doctrine imaginable. And then here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, based on everything I've just said for 11 chapters, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that you've just seen in the gospel to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is another summary of the Christian life, is that in light of the mercies of God, in light of what God has done for me through Christ, then my entire life is worship. My entire life is worship. Me laying down my life as an offering. All of the Christian life is to be one of worship, and that won't stop when we get to heaven. We see a picture of what's happening in heaven when the shadow is lifted and people no longer see through a glass dimly. They get to see Christ face to face for exactly who he is. And the scene around the throne in Revelation chapter 5 and 7, it is not a gloomy scene. <laughs> it is a joyous scene. What we see in heaven is Passionate, joyful, jubilant worship. We see myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angelic beings and crazy creatures and all nations and tribes and languages and tongues bowing down before the throne and before the Lamb. And do you know what they're saying over and over again? Do you know what you keep hearing repeated? Worthy are you. Worthy. 
What that means is you are worth more than everything. You're worth my life. You're worth my finances. You're worth my time. You're worth my family. You're worth my career. You're worth all of my energy. You're worth my thoughts. You are worthy of it all. Worship. Worship is a response to seeing. You see, salvation is seeing the worth of Christ. And worship is declaring the worth of Christ or showing the worth of Christ. Worship is a response to seeing glory to seeing his worthiness. And so joy fuels worship. Joy fuels worship. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10:31, whatever you whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your entire life is to be a response to his glory, for his glory. Your entire life, fueled by joy, is to be a life of worship. Joy fuels worship. Secondly, joy fuels sacrifice. Look at what it says. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Sells all that he has. I want you to imagine what that would be like. Now, this would be a process, right? This would be a process. I doubt he just said, estate for sale on Facebook Marketplace and everything was gone like that, right? I have a feeling this was a process, right? He had to, he had to sell off items one by one. He had to sell off sentimental things, things that were passed down to him, He had to sell off things that he actually needed, things that he used daily, right? There's there's sacrifice implied here when it says that he goes and he sells all. There's sacrifice. But I, I want us to consider what it would have been like to bump into this guy in that process. Do you think that if you ran into him in the, the weeks leading up to him buying this field, do you think he would have been moping around, dragging his feet? <sighs> i got to sell this. i got to sell this. i got to give this up? No. No. Because in his joy, he goes and sells all. Because he's, he's looking forward to something, right? He's looking to... Purchase something that's worth more, far more than all that he is giving up. Look with me at Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. This is faith. This is faith. So just so you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is this chapter that's all about faith. And it's, it's, all, it's showing character after character in the Bible and their faith. Their faith is what 
made them right with God. Their faith is what's commendable. And, and so it's, it's picture after picture after picture after picture of people in the Bible who endured hard things for some future reward, and it keeps on pointing to this is what faith looks like. Going through hard things joyfully, knowing that there's a good reward coming. And then it gets to chapter 12, and it's not a new thought. This is not a brand new, this is not a new subject. He, he, he says, now let's look to the best example of faith. Let's look to Jesus. And this is what he says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. What? Jesus, you were motivated by joy? You were fueled by joy? Yes, for the joy that was set before him, for the reward that was coming, exaltation by the Father, a bride for eternity, for that joy, he endured the cross. So even in his hour of greatest suffering, he was rejoicing. He was fueled by joy to make sacrifices. Look with me at Philippians 3, 7 through 8. This is, this is what fuels Paul, as I mentioned earlier. He says, whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Paul, was it hard, was it hard for you to give up everything that you had, the reputation that you had, the career path that you were on, the comforts that you enjoyed? Was it hard for you? Listen to what he says. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, I look at everything this world can give me, and then I put Jesus on the other side of the scale, and it's worth nothing. It holds no weight. It is trash in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus. And so, how was it that Paul was able to endure all that he endured? Beatings, stonings, imprisonments, shipwreck, fearing for his life, running from city to city, slander. How did he get through all of that? He was fueled by joy because he'd seen the treasure. He'd seen the value, the worth of Christ. And he knew him. You see, he didn't just see the treasure from a distance. He knew Jesus. He walked with him day in and day out. 
So joy fuels all of the Christian life. It fuels our worship. It fuels Christian sacrifice. All of Christian sacrifice. I want you to think about your, yourself here. Do you, do you even... Okay, so some of you, you, you're making big sacrifices. Some of you are being persecuted at work for your witness. Is it fueled by joy? I think so. I hope so. Because you've seen the, the worth of Christ. Do you think about this with the small sacrifices too? The little things like a little less sleep in the morning so you can get up and spend time with Him? Are you willing to make that sacrifice joyfully? Because you've seen the worth of Christ? Because He's worth sacrifice? Or to set aside time to sit and be with the Lord? The little sacrifices? You know, um, I think about dear friends that many of you know who we're part of this church. We sent out as missionaries. And right now, everything they own, everything that they're, they're going to own is in bags. It's about nine bags sitting by the door. I saw a picture of it yesterday. So that they can go. So they can go. Why? so that they can share the good news with people who've never heard it in Central Asia. Now, those of you who know this family, are they doing this begrudgingly? No. Are they moping around as they sell all of their things, as they let go of all their stuff? No. They are some of the most joyful people, maybe the most joyful people many of us know. Because they've seen the treasure, they know the worth of Christ. And so they'll go. They'll sell it all. They'll let go of it all for the sake of Christ. My last point before we get to some response is that joyful sacrifice magnifies the treasure. Joyful sacrifice magnifies the treasure. I want us to, once again, imagine running into this man as he's running around selling all of his things. And imagine that you run into him and he is depressed and he is discouraged and he is sullen and melancholy. What would that communicate to you about the field that he was going to buy? It must not really be worth it. But if you run into him and he's whistling and he's singing, and the reason you bumped into him is because he's skipping like a child, <laughs> and you said, what are you doing? What's come over you? And he said, <laughs> I'm selling it all. He said, why? <laughs> because I found a field, and it's worth more than everything I have. 
now. What does that tell you about that field? What does that communicate to you? It says, this must be a worthy exchange. If only I could find a field like that. So, Christian, I ask again, do you represent this treasure well? Do you show forth the worth of what you have received in Christ? This is what Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. This is what Paul is saying. He is saying, rejoicing all of the time, that is reasonable behavior, considering what? That the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. It means it's a, it's a way of saying he's right here. When Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it meant, it meant it's here. So when Paul says rejoice, again I'll say rejoice, let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What he's saying is this is the only suitable way to act is with joy with rejoicing. If it's true that the Lord is here, that the Lord is among us, He's with us, not with anxiety about what's happening in the world and what's going on in politics and what's going to happen with my job and what's going on in my family and what's happening with my friends. No. With joy. Because the Lord is at hand. We're commanded to rejoice all the time in every circumstance. So I want us to consider a few things as I, as I wrap this up. Number one is I just want you to ask yourself, if you haven't already done this, what would people say if they were to watch my life for a time? They could just follow me around. They could see me in the morning. They could see me with my family. They could see me at work. They could see me on the weekends when I have my time. What would people say about me? Would they say that I'm fueled by joy? That's the first question. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Is that true for you? Is that true for you? Is the joy of the Lord... What strengthens you and fuels you? So that's the first. And then sort of a sub-question under that to help you think through it. When you make sacrifices, are those sacrifices fueled by joy or by duty? Are they fueled by joy or by duty? These are very different things. One is relationship and one is religious activity. 
When you make sacrifices, what is the motive? What is the fuel that keeps you going? Is it your relationship with Christ because you love Him? Because you enjoy Him? Or is it because you feel like you got to? Or you should? That's religious activity. It's worthless. It's dead works. Our passion must become joy-infused passion. Passion all by itself is not enough. It's got to be joy-infused passion because the passion that sees Christ for the treasure that he is is joy-infused. I mean, think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees had passion, did they not? Had so much passion that it drove them to murder the Son of God. They were passionate. But, the way that Paul puts it in Romans 10, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They had passion, but it wasn't gospel-informed passion. You see that? They were ignorant of the righteousness of God available to them through Jesus, and so the only, the only thing left to do was to establish their own righteousness. And you can be very passionate about establishing your own righteousness, and it'd be all wrong. It's all wrong. So the passion is not enough. It's got to be joy-infused passion. It's got to be gospel-informed passion, a passion that comes from knowing the righteousness of God available to me freely through Christ. And then, finally, I want to end with this really practically. If you don't have joy in the Lord, or maybe I should say it this way, when you don't have joy in the Lord, because nobody's going to do this all the time perfectly, so when you don't have joy in the Lord, how do you fight for it? Let me just give you a few practical ways to fight for this joy that you're commanded to have. (laughs) First of all, pray for it. Pray for it. Because it's, it's a gift. It's a miracle. Think about what David says in Psalm 51, 12. He says, return to me the joy of your salvation. He prays for it because he knows unless God gives it, he can't have it. So this is number one, always go to God and say, God, I don't have joy that is appropriate for the treasure that I've been given, so would you grant to me this miracle and fill me with joy, the joy of your salvation. Restore the relationship. And and involved part of this may need to be confession of sin to the Lord and to others that you haven't confessed because, listen, I talk about this a lot. But if you have unconfessed sin in your life, it, it destroys your faith in the gospel. And so if it, it acts as a barrier, this guilt, it acts as a barrier. But the Bible says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So many of us would immediately have our joy restored to us if we just kept a clear conscience. So confess your sins, pray, ask Him to give you the gift of joy. Secondly, 
Um, make sure that you are not more focused on the commands than the commander. It's very easy to be to die to the law. The Bible says in Romans that we have died to the law, that we live no longer under the law, but we live now under grace. We live under this new operating system with God. And it's very easy to go back to the law. And I think it starts with this simple thing. We begin to focus solely on the commands and not on the commander, not on the one who gives them. And, and so now we become motivated out of duty and not delight, out of should or ought to instead of relationship. So don't live under the law, but live under grace. To say it the way that Romans 7, 6 says it, stop serving in the old way of the written code and begin to serve in the new way of the Spirit, the covenant of grace. Believe the gospel. Let that fuel your life with joy. Thirdly, fill your mind with God's word. The word of God produces joy. It says in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. So in your fight for joy, fill your mind and heart with the scriptures. Fill your thoughts with the word. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So fill your heart with his words. And then finally, um, stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preacher from 50, 60 years ago, he said that most of our melancholy and depression and discouragement would be solved by this one thing if we would simply stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. You know, there's always a little internal conversation going on in there, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> and when we find ourselves in discouragement, <clears throat> it's because we've been telling ourselves discouraging things. And <clears throat> we haven't been telling ourselves the truth. We haven't been preaching the truth to ourselves. David preached to himself. In, uh, in Psalm 42, twice in Psalm 42, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. So the next time you find yourself joyless, having a pity party, remember this truth. I've got to stop listening to myself and start preaching to myself. I've got to tell my soul what to believe, what to think. I've got to say, why are you downcast, soul? Have you seen what God has given you in Christ? Do you remember all the blessings that are yours in the heavenlies? Do you remember that you are a child of God, loved and accepted by God freely? Have you looked around lately at the gifts all around you? <laughs> are you thanking God, soul, for the food and the drink and the friends and the laughter and the sunshine and the birds? 
And we tell ourselves, we preach to ourselves, and it is amazing. I promise you, it is amazing how your soul will switch gears and you'll find yourself believing the truth again, believing the gospel again. I want to end with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received this treasure. I want to talk to you. I don't know who who you are, your story, but maybe you're here this morning and the thing that keeps coming to your mind is, I don't think I've ever seen Christ as a treasure. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up and you've believed an intellectual gospel. You agreed with a set of facts, but that's no better than the demons. You see, the thing that separates a Christian from a demon is that we see Christ as worthy. We see him as beautiful. We treasure him. And so we submit ourselves to him. And so if you're here this morning, I just want to implore you. I want to plead with you. Because God works through these pleadings. He works through a person calling out to you and saying, wake up and see the glory that is Christ. Wake up and see and behold the beauty of Christ. Turn from your sins. Leave them behind you. Don't try and clean yourself up. You cannot do that on your own. Come to Christ as you are and bow your knees before him and believe and submit to him. Trust him and you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And if you do that, the Bible commands you then to be baptized. The very first thing that you're commanded to do in obedience to Christ as your Lord, as your new boss, is to be baptized. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we stop and pray now. If that's you, if you have never seen Christ as your treasure, but you see him today, in a new light, and you want to give your life to him, and you want to follow him, then you can do that right now. So bow with me. Let's pray. If that's you, if you're here today and you say, I want the treasure in the field. I see that he is worth more than all my life. And I'm willing to give up anything to gain him. Then all that you must do is repent of your sins, turn away from them right now, quietly in your own heart, tell God what's on your heart and that you believe and that you want to follow him. Do that right now. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you.
for this gospel, for this gift. We thank you that you don't ask us to come and serve you begrudgingly, but that you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. That when we live our lives filled with joy, fueled with joy, it magnifies you. Thank you, God, that you've designed it this way. That we don't have to choose between our joy or your glory. That to pursue our greatest joy in you glorifies you more than anything else. Thank you, God. Thank you for this glorious gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for suffering and dying on the cross in order to bring us to God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Amen.